He put on righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. This is the armor of God, not just because he supplies it, but because he also wears it. If you will, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And we're going to continue um, with what we talked about last week. And let me give that to you, please. And that is the measure of maturity. The measure of maturity. Hey, just real quick, um, uh, again, isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord? Amen? Give the Lord one more hand, please, this morning. Now, in the first century A.D., in the first century A.D., the common language, the common language in that known world was Greek. Our New Testament is written almost exclusively of this picturesque language, if you will. Let me close that door. I've got a... OCD about myself. I don't like any open doors. So the New Testament is written in this Greek language. And again, it's a picturesque language. Now, one particular word that shows up 38 times, listen close, one word that shows up in the New Testament 38 times is the word scandalon, scandalon. Now, we get our English transliteration scandal from this word scandalon. Now, we all understand that word scandal. I mean, just hearing that word just brings panic to somebody, doesn't it? I mean, if I were to sit out and I would tell you this morning, hey, guess what? There was a scandal in the Markham family. I mean, that just throws us into this, t- and then there's not Sherry, okay? And she says, I don't know, there might be. But no, um, um, but, you know, just that word scandal, <laughs> I was trying to figure out someone to choose, and I was either going to hit you or I was going to hit the Horners, and I always hit the Horners, so I kind of take turns back and forth. You guys here in the middle are always safe, it seems like. I got fi- fi- to figure out somebody in the middle I can pick on a little bit. But it's that word scandalon, scandalon. We get the word scandal, and again, we know what that word means. Um, it's a very scary word, isn't it? Now, what gives that word meat or gives that word teeth in the Bible, in the New Testament, is how this word is used and what this picture is. And what this picture is of this word scandalon is what really gives this word teeth in the New Testament. Now, the word is always used in terms of a hunter. Now, what I have here is I have a trap. Anybody ever seen a trap like this before? So the word scandalon is a picture of a trap. Now, I've got this trap set, so I'm going to try not to hurt myself up here, okay? But this is a trap that, that, I, that, I, um, that I got, and I've had it for many years, and I was thinking last night... Um, that I had this and that I was going to bring this because this is, this is I want to show you about this word scandalon. Now, you really don't know what it means, but this is the picture of a scandalon. Now, last night, um, I've had something, I had something on my back porch for about a week, and it's eating all my cat food and tearing up things on my back porch. So last night, I went and got one of my live trap, you see, 
I got a, this is not a live trap. This is a dead trap. <laughs> this is a death trap. But I got, my, I got my live trap out, and it's one my grandpa made about 50 years ago. Boy, it works good. But, it's, but I set it out last night, and within about an hour, I had a big old 120-pound raccoon in that thing, you see. About every time I tell a story, it grows. About a 30-pound raccoon, and and he died this morning of lead poisoning. But, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I caught that sucker, okay. But this, but when we look at the, I, I got, we got, we've got to get going here. But this is uh, scandalon. It's that Greek word, and and remember, the Greek is a is a very picturesque language, and so so when we see it used 38 times in the New Testament, that's the picture of it. That's the picture of this word scandalon. Now, we see it um, translated in English words as um, offense or, or, or different ways in the New Testament. But it always has to do with the destruction of sin. Anytime that word is used in the New Testament, it talks about sin and the destruction of sin. It, and, and it's used in terms of a hunter. Now... In this trap, you know, we've got the ring around it. We've got the ring around it. And then in the middle, there's that little plate. There's that trigger. And you know how these work is, is that, you know, one or two ways you'll put, just like I did last night, in that, on that trigger, I placed some bait for that old raccoon to come in there. And, of course, he went in there, and he, he saw that bait, and he got trapped. And the same idea here is on this trap is that you're going you're gonna to camouflage it you're going to put some bait on it or around it to bring what you're hunting in so you can trap it. And so this word scandalon, which we get our word scandal, this word that we're talking about that shows the destruction of that, that right there in the very center is a trigger. It's a plate. And here's the application of it. And that right in the center, right, that plate, that trigger, that's what the Greeks call the scandalon. That trigger part, that part that when it triggers, it captures and it scandalizes whatever it catches. Do you get it? Do you see it? Now, the application is this, is that there is a crafty hunter out there, and his name is Satan, and he camouflages, and he puts baits out to bring people in, and every time he gets somebody, and we fall into one of his traps, our lives become a scandal. Do you see it? Very, very, very vivid picture in what the New Testament shows us about this word scandal or scandalize. You know, it's really interesting to me that the, Holy, that the New Testament writers were inspired by God. God breathed on them to use this word scandalon to describe what sin does in a life when we give into it. It scandalizes. It scandalizes. Amen? Let's pray together, and we're going to start the service. Father, we love you, and we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we see this morning that, uh, boy, there's a crafty hunter out there, and Lord, he's just wanting to scandalize us. Snares are being set. Bait is out there. Things of life are camouflaged. They might look wonderful. It might look like it's going to be good for us. But, Lord, they're snares and they're traps. And that Satan wants to use to do nothing but scandalize 
our lives. So Lord, I pray this morning as we go through this lesson that we'll understand what maturity is, and but more importantly, where we're at in that area of, mature, of maturity in our own Christian life. We love you and we give you praise for everything that you're doing and will do in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, your Bibles are open to 1 Corinthians, and go ahead and look at chapter 13, please. But here again, we see this, 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 this scandal on here. Now, last week, we unmasked the hunter in Ephesians chapter 6, did we not? And, and posed the following questions. Follow me here. If Satan were to blow you out of the water, if he were to scandalize you, how do you think he would do it? Now, the Bible underscores the reality that you are being stalked by a cunning enemy, an enemy who, who is compared to a hungry lion seeking whom he may devour. And last week we saw that what we're supposed to do is have a defense, right? Everybody say amen. The first thing that we have to understand and when we're measuring our maturity is, is how mature are we in our defense, how mature are we? Now, we're reminded that, that the call to arms from God is to fight back with holiness. Listen, we're to fight back. All that's going on in our lives and around our lives in this world is, is number one, is we're to arm ourselves in holiness. We're to armor up for battle. We're to uncover and unroot traps set by that enemy by how? By a surrendered life, a life described, we talked about it last week in Ephesians chapter 6. We're to, be, we're to have a life that's rooted in God's word, obedient to God's will, and we're to be a people who are ready with the gospel, but more importantly, prayed up. Everybody with me? You are incredibly a powerful weapon in God's hands when and if we are obedient and we're clean with him. Amen? Now, so spiritual warfare is tied to how you live your Christian life, linked to whether you're growing stronger and stronger as you get and stronger as you get older in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is for this reason that we want to take the measure of our maturity. So let's do that this morning. So we're asking the Holy Spirit to see how we're shaping up spiritually. I hope we're all taking this seriously, and we're saying, God. How are we shaping up spiritually? Last week, again, we saw this, this maturity. We, we, we measure it by, by our defense. You know, we saw last week that um, things may look harmless out there, but just like that Cessna airplane that flew into the airspace of Russia, uh, they thought it was harmless, but it landed right in the middle of Red Square. So there are things that could be in our lives, and, and because they're small and because they're insignificant, because they're common, because the world says that things are okay, we, we, don't, we just don't give it what we ought to, and we let those things enter into our airspace, and the next thing you know, what happens? Our lives are scandalized, right? Scandalized. Sin brings destruction. So, so we got that. So here's a question this morning, and for this week and two more weeks, is I want us to see the New Testament that God gives us three ways into which we're to measure our maturity. We've got our defense. We've got to be people of defense. We've got to put the whole armor of God on. How mature are we in that? We got that. But there are three other areas in our life in which the New Testament shows us, listen to me, 
over and over and over and over again in a way in which we are to measure our faith. In other words, how does God want us to be? How does he will us in these three areas? And the measurement is, how are we doing there, right? So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's look at this trilogy of, of how we can measure our faith is the first one, faith. The maturity will be measured. The Holy Spirit has named three qualities that literally jump off the page of the New Testament. They form this comprehensive way to access our Christian living. Write this down and mark it. We've preached on faith. You know about faith, but let's put some, let's put some, let's put some fat behind it. Let's put, let's put something behind this and so we can sink our teeth into it so we can tell, are we maturing? Are we matured? What is our measure of mature? maturity as a Christian. Now, in this trilogy, here is the most well-known appearance of this trilogy of spiritual markers, and it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And it says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Now, hold on. So, first, we're saying this morning is, is that we can measure our maturity in these three areas. Number one, faith. Number two, hope. And number three, love. Now, this trilogy of words, these three words is common throughout the New Testament. And I remind you that Paul closes this famous chapter in the Bible by naming these three vital qualities in, in chapter 13. He says again, now, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. We see these three again in Colossians chapter 1, and it says, We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints because, listen to it, because of the hope reserved from you in heaven. And again, Hebrews chapter 10, it also shows those three words. And on and on and on again in the New Testament, we see those three words used, and they're always used in such a way that we can understand that God is seeing that we are to measure our life by these three standards. What is our faith? What is our hope? And what is our love? Now, this morning, we're going to look at the first word, faith. Next week, we'll look at hope. And then the last week, we'll look at love. So this morning, I want us all to, to, to look into our hearts and to and to take a time of self, listen to me, a time of self-examination and whether or not we are growing spiritually as believers. And one way in which we can test that maturity is by our faith. Number one this morning, how's our faith? How's our faith? Now, we got three points this morning, and, and within those three points, we'll figure out how we can measure our faith in our lives. Point number one, number one, what has gotten into you? Now, we got to have something to measure from. Everybody say amen. We have to have something to measure from. In other words, what has gotten into you? What do you measure from and to to see where we measure in our maturity, right? So we have to first understand what has gotten into us. Now, Jeremy, you know, it's a wonderful testimony, and, 
and this is exactly what you're talking about, is, is we want this to get into everybody because this, there has to be a will, there has to be a standard from which we're measured from. Everybody, right? So we have to first understand is what has gotten into you. Now, when we think of those words, we usually ask the question, when we encounter someone who is behaving differently, we say, what's gotten into you, right? You know, where's my daughter Nancy at? Is she here? Yeah, you know, uh, um, I walked home, got home yesterday, and boy, she cleaned her room in her bathroom, and kind of my response was, my goodness, what got into you, right? Um, but a lot of times, you know, we'll, you know we'll, someone will behave badly, and we'll say to our kids, what in the world has gotten into you? Anybody ever say that before? Yeah, you know, or, but anyways, when someone's not acting as they normally do, sorry, Nancy, um, you know, we, we kind of ask those words, um, what in the world has gotten into you? But hey, this morning, I want you to know what's gotten into you. If you're a born-again Christian, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you know him, that means that faith has entered into your life, and because that has happened, something has gotten into you. And it's the Holy Spirit. Give the Lord a hand. It is God in us. Something has gotten into you. Something has gotten into you. And that something that's gotten into you is something that says that no longer am I destined to a place called hell where there's going to be suffering of sins, but instead because of what has gotten into me is that now my sins are forgiven and my sins nailed Jesus Christ to the cross and now I am free to walk in abundance of life. That's what's gotten into me. That's what's gotten into us. Listen, think about it like this, that when Jesus Christ took residence into us, when we kneeled on our, on our knees and when we bowed our hearts to him and professed with our mouth, something great happened, and that is the Holy Spirit come to take residence in you and seal you into the day of redemption. Listen to me. The Bible talks about a transformation, a transformation. We're to be transformed, and who are to be transformed to be like? Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. What has gotten into us? That's the measurement of faith. Do we under, you know, in the Greek, there's that word metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis. Do you understand that when you bowed your heart and professed him as Savior and believed in your heart, do you real understand that your DNA has been transformed? You're no longer a sinner who is dying and going to hell. You are now a saved person, and your, your spiritual DNA has gone through, is going through a metamorphosis. You're now sealed, and you're going to heaven. Your sins are now forgiven. You now have the ability to walk the newness of life. You now have the liberty to say no to those things because you have the Holy Spirit living within you to guide you and to direct you. Do you understand that that is the standard on which faith is measured as Christians God has put into us something, and that's where our measurement starts. Now, number two, and we'll get to it here in just a minute. Let's go ahead and get to it right now. Point number two. Point number two. If we know is what has gotten into us, now we ask to measure this. You following me here? Because we don't want to be scandalized, right? Right? Even though we're born-again believers... We, we can still let things come into our lives and we can, be, we, we can become the next victim of Satan and our lives are scandalized. 
So what should be coming out of you? Again, the Bible makes it plain that there are significant implications in this reality that the Spirit of God himself is now inside of you. I mean, that's just the way it is. The Holy Spirit, listen close, is not some reclusive tenant. He's not to be dormant, even though we a lot of times live our lives like he is. But he dwells within you to take on you as his personal project. Amen? His goal, the Holy Spirit's goal is to transform you from the inside out so that you think, speak, and act just like Jesus did. How you doing over here? How you doing over here? How's your spiritual DNA? How's that metamorphosis taking place in your life? That is the measurement. You don't measure yourself against a drunk out there. You don't measure yourself against someone who has been scandalized all the time. You don't measure your life against an unbeliever. You measure your life against Jesus Christ. How you doing out there? That's what we measure our life against. You say, Pastor, you mean that I got to be perfect like Jesus? We're never going to be perfect like Jesus, but that should be what we aim for each and every day that we get out of our beds. It should be what we aim for when we come to church and to do God's will. It is certainly what we're supposed to be aiming at as Christians because guess why? That's what's in you. That's what God is putting in you. Now wake up and get out of your funk and understand that's what's what God wants for you. So what is your measurement this morning? Where you, what's in you? What's coming out of you? Where are you at? What are you allowing in your life to scandalize you? What are you allowing in your life to to, to rob and steal that victory and that abundant life? What what is it that is circling around? Remember, Satan's in his war room. He's got your picture. He knows all your weaknesses. He's got demons doing his bidding work. He knows these things. But guess what? He's not Jesus Christ. He's not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. But listen, make no mistake, he's in his war room And he's got your picture on the wall, and he's setting these up all over the place. He's got them camouflaged. He's got them baited because he wants us to step in there and for our lives to be scandalized. The measurement of what's in us and what's coming out of us. I go, I try different diets all the time. I tell you, they just don't work for me. We started a new one a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, Tom? I wish I could just look good as half as half as good as my wife. I tell you, she don't need to be on one, but she goes on them because I need them, I guess. But I remember um, here a while back, I read that, um, see guys, you make love deposits whenever you can. That way you can make withdrawals, you see? You know what I'm saying? You know, when I put my foot in my mouth, I, I got these good times so I can, you know. And, uh, um, and I do that quite a bit. But I remember um, I read something, and it said, it said to buy some pomegranate and blueberry juice. Right? It's, it's supposed to do something about cleansing you or, or something that's really good. So it says, you know, it needs to be 100%. Anybody ever try that for that? Anyways, it doesn't matter. So I remember I, I went to the store, and I bought this jug, and it showed this beautiful picture. It showed this beautiful picture of, of, um, of um, 
pomegranate being, being with all of its glistening seeds pouring out on top of these huge, fat, beautiful, juicy blueberries on the picture of the bottle and, and pouring out. And so I grabbed the bottle and I looked on the back side of it and, um, and um, the first ingredient, I think, I don't it was, you know, it was, it was um, um, had water was the first ingredient. And then um, it was flavored apple juice. And then, I don't know, and then, and then I kept going down the list and I didn't see the pomegranate. I didn't see, I didn't see the blueberry, right? And so finally it's there, but it was number six and number seven on the list. It made up like maybe 5%. And so when you turn on the big label in small little words, it says flavored. It wasn't 100% pomegranate juice and blueberry juice. I wonder if there was an and an ingredient list put on Ron Fox. I, I wonder if, if there was an in, ingredient list put on your life. Remember, remember, we're talking about measurement. What's in you and what's coming out of you. If you had an ingredient list in your life, I wonder where Jesus would be in the ingredients. Are you just Jesus-flavored? Or are you 100% Jesus? Where's your maturity? You see, a mature, born-again believer, he or she may fail from time to time, but our maturity is measured on what's in us between what's coming out of us. Would your life be better described as being Jesus-flavored or 100% believer. Hmm? Billy Graham, he said this years back. He said, the greatest mission field isn't foreign missions, nor is it domestic missions, but he said the largest and greatest mission field is in the local church seats that are filled by so-called believers. Can you imagine that? Now, Billy Graham don't lie, does he? What he's saying is, is that those, our pews are filled with people who say they're 100% sold out, 100% born-again believers, but in all truthfulness, they're just Jesus-flavored. How about us? What is your maturity this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ. Number one, it's measured by our faith. When you got saved, Cornerstone, when you got saved, Jesus placed something in you that was a standard. It was a standard. And, and, and as the Bible says that our responsibility as Christians is, is to subdue, to mortify, to put to death, to stay out of those, those, those scandalons, to, to stay in God's word and to, and to make sure we have those right defenses in our lives so that our lives don't become scandal. But, but he's put something in us, and that is himself, and he's given us a standard. And our responsibility, what we should do as born-again believers, is we're to allow him to transform us into being what we was 
to what he wants us to be because that is God's will for our lives. Everybody say amen. So what do you do? So what do you do, pastor? What, what should I do about that gap? That's the message of this morning. What should I do about the gap? And the gap is the distance between, between who God wills me to be and who I really am. You know, I just got to back up for a second. And, you know, the scripture shows us here that um, that God's will is for us to be transformed, that we're to be made in the likeness of Jesus Christ. We're to be like him. And so, so really, Pastor, you know, I'm to be like Jesus? Absolutely, 100%. And so that gap is the distance between who God wills me to be and who I really am. And as the Holy Spirit stretches this measuring tape of a living faith that produces Christ-like work, works in our lives, there is no one in the room that doesn't have gaps in various places in their life. Listen to me, nobody. So this morning, as we grapple with this distance, here it is. Everybody, we're, we're just about done. We've all got this distance. None of us is perfect, right? And so as we grapple with that idea, here is the scandal on this morning. Here is the trap that Satan is wanting to set for all of you this morning. Here, here are those live traps. He's got them camouflaged. Listen, he's got them baited. You know, it, it looks like a free meal, but it's not. It's going to scandalize you. But here's the temptation from that great elusive hunter this morning. What's the temptation? We're grappling with the idea. Okay, here's, what, here's, here's what's in me. Here's who I am, and here's who I ought to be, and here's the distance and so as we grapple with that this morning, here's a temptation. Pretend that everything's okay. Pretend. Fool yourself. Fake it. Well, I'll just go through the steps, and I'll just let everybody see that, you know what, that I'm 100% Christian, and I'm not some diluted thing that is just flavored. Maybe counterfeit. How about this one, the temptation? Uh, don't, don't bow or cry out for God's grace. Some here this morning, I, I guarantee it, you're not saved. You know you're not saved, but you're not going to cry out for God because, you, because you're just too pr- proud to do it. Here's another one. Here's a temptation that we all go through. Compare, your sh- compare yourself with some lukewarm, low-life Christian who you shouldn't be comparing yourself against. You should be comparing yourself against the very word of God and what God wills you to be in your life, not some lukewarm thing. Remember, I told this story. I went to the doctor. I walked in there, and the doctor took my weight, and he took my blood pressure, and the doctor looked at me, and they, she said to me, she said, well, you're, you're, you're obese, Pastor. And I said, what? She said, you are borderline obese. And I said, no. You know, that's an offensive word to me, right? You know, uh, I might be a little chubby, a little chunky here, but I don't think I'm obese. So... I start comparing myself against people who are bigger than I. And I say, hm, I'm fine, right? But then I, I think about it. Then I look at people who are fit and who exercise with my height and everything like that. And, and, and I look at them and I think, you know what? Got to compare myself against the right thing. I had to make that measurement, you see. 
look, there's temptations for us not to do anything about that gap of where God wants us to be, where he wills us to be, what he's put into us, and and where we're at. This morning, where are you personally? Listen, where are we as a church? Where are you personally? I mean, God's word is, is, is perfect. How do you measure up? Where is that gap? What do you need to do this morning? This morning, we're going to observe the, Lord, the Lord's Supper, communion. And so our invitation here is going to be twofold. Number one is, is if, is if is, the invitation is, is, the invitation is open for everyone to come and to do business with Jesus Christ. This is the altar. This is the altar. You come and do business with him. This is also a time of self-examination. And you think about that gap. And you think about, about, about the vows that you made to God. You think about those things, and you get those things right with God. Remember, as we take the Lord's Supper, only those who are saved by grace through faith can take of the Lord's Supper. Okay? Now, I always want to say this. And, and here's what I want. I want, I want John and Cheryl and JC. And I want you to sing this song, The Great I Am, during the invitation. I know I changed things up, but that's what I want. Um, remember that to take the Lord's Supper, you've got to be born again. You've got to be saved by grace through faith. Everybody listen to me close. If you're not saved, then the invitation for you this morning is is for you to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. That is not a reason for you not to take of the Lord's Supper. Take a time of inventory, and if you're not saved, come get it right. Now, here's another thing. There may be sin in your life. And so so what we want to do is we sometimes in our own self, we want to sit back in our pew and say, I'm going to be a big shot here. I'm not going to take because my life's just not right. Well, fooey pooey on you, big shot, because this is a time for you to come get your life right. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, you come to the altar of God and, and, and you forgive somebody who's trespassed against you. This is, what the, this is what family time is all about. It's about getting real. It's about getting real with God. And that's what, that's what the Lord's Supper offers. If there's any sin in your life, This is a time for you to take a time of self-examination and get rid of it and have that communion with God. Because in that communion, we remember the blood that was shed for our sins. We remember the body that was broken for us. And we take in remembrance. We make it fresh in our minds and we make it fresh in our hearts. This is serious business. Some of us have little children here. If they're under that age of accountability, let them just watch you and you be a good example to them as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, okay? So we're going to sing this song. And I want you to just sit right in your pew and I want you to think about it as a time of self-examination. I want you to know that this altar is open and you please come as God leads you. And think about that gap of what's in you and what's coming out of you, what God wills for you, and what's really coming out of you. What's that gap? What can you work on? What is God showing you this morning? All of us have a gap. I have a gap. You have a gap. Doesn't mean you don't take the Lord's Supper, 
This means that you get real. What are you? Are you Jesus flavored? Or are you 